and welcome to Vision Scope, a program designed to educate and inform on matters relating to disabilities. My name is Wilbert Williams. Good to have you joining me for another in the series Vision Scope. The 19th of May was Global Accessibility Day and in recognition of that day, the panelists on Tell It Like It Is sat down and held a discussion regarding global access. Those participating in the discussions were DJ G-File, King Rocco, and myself, plus a guest from United Vision Connect. Alinda Brathwaite. Our special guest for the evening was John Lee, a consultant with Lenovo. We covered a wide range of topics dealing with digital access and we thought that this discussion might interest you so enjoy it as we present an edited version of this discussion so guys today we will be talking about Accessibility in light of Global Accessibility Awareness Day, which is on May 19th. And we're not talking about accessibility like the accessibility we were talking about a few minutes ago, but we are talking about digital accessibility. And so um, we have a very special guest this evening, Mr. John Lee, who works with Lenovo. And give him your title, sir. Accessibility Research and Design Consultant. He's a senior guy. Yes. Okay. <laughs> that's that's the kind of guy that um, when you start writing his title, you run out of space on the line. <laughs> in Braille. Especially if you're writing in Braille. <laughs> yes. yes. What is it? Yeah, it's, it's not going to fit on an index card. Trust me. I to learn that title too, so it was not something I created. They created it. Now, I think mine will fit on an index card. I'm, I am an accessibility engineer for CVS Health, so maybe mine will fit. Yes, yours will fit. Okay. Yes, yours will fit. Nice and short, to the point. All right, let's let's let's. I have the best one in the lot. I have none. You have none. <laughs> I said none. I'm, I'm sure the listeners would like to hear every, about everything, anything, and everything to that when it comes to accessibility. 
Yes, yes. Uh, John, good to have you. Maybe we should start by you um, defining what is accessibility. What do you mean by accessibility? <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna defer to Gary on some of this. I'm I'm gonna talk a little bit today, but when I look at accessibility, I look at so the word is access, right? And we also have ability there. So giving me access to have the ability to do something, mm-hmm. whatever that is, whatever that looks like, right? Because there's so many things that you need access to. The, the world as it stands has access to everything. If you come here and you're blessed and you're able-bodied, period, that means you have nothing basically no deficiencies physically, we'll say, and even sometimes mentally, right, or cognitively. But so if you don't have those issues, you basically have access. Well, when we change the game and you are visually impaired or hearing impaired or deaf, deaf blind, or any kind of cognitive issue, now you need access to have the ability to do what you need to do. You're already gifted, maybe. Maybe you already can do things, but you need that access. So that's how I see accessibility. Mm-hmm. Gary, you want to expound on that a little bit? And sure. In, in your view, what do you think access really is? So in the context of accessibility based on the premise that we're operating from that John has put out there. Um, Accessibility is thinking about those who don't necessarily fit, um, you know, that perfect mold. And majority of us um, have some kind of deficiency. Even those of us that are considered, you know, able-bodied or normal, um, you know, in the best of circumstances, even some of us still, you know, have different deficiencies. You know, we may have found different ways to deal with those deficiencies. But um, in the context of it, specifically, in this case, we're talking about digital accessibility. And of course, that's, you know, the ability to access digital content, whether that be websites or applications or PDF documents or Word documents And, you know, on the surface, you say to yourself, you know, why is that even important? Why, why is that important? Because increasingly, the way to really get things done, whether it's conducting business, taking care of personal transactions, or anything else is being done on the web. You know, it's no longer being done by paperwork. And so, in order to ensure that your customers or your citizens have access to this information, this information must be made accessible in a digital format so that everyone can use it. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my um, little spiel about what is accessibility. John, although digital access is good, isn't it a way to entrap me? Can you repeat the question? No, I was trying to get out of John whether he thinks that 
digital access is a means of entrapping people because of the amount of information that is stored on you. Isn't that all that part of the digital process? Yeah, I am. So, again... I'm being troublesome. uh, Yeah, you are. I I feel it. (laughs) So, digital data, right? So, I hear people talk about... So, if if you're on an app called the Clubhouse, or you're on Messenger, or you're on Facebook, any of these, these social media apps, you'll hear a phrase that says... Hey, don't say my government. And what people are saying is don't say my real name. Not mm-hmm. understanding <laughs> that everybody's already got your name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so the narrative that, that we hear is, well, I don't want to go digital because they have all my information. They already have your information. I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Mm-hmm. When you're born in America, for sure, there's a social security number, right? We got those nine digits, and um, once once they're given to you and assigned to you, everything is networked through that number. Mm-hmm. Whether it's your school, your immunizations, your you know, and it starts at a very young age, mm-hmm. and that's why that number is so quintessential. <laughs> and um, you know, so I, I think people shouldn't be scared because of that. Now. If we look at individuals, right? So, you you know, people get hacked sometimes. But a lot of times it's because you don't know how things work. You're not getting hacked because Gary's outside your house and he's just hacking into your network. That, that really <laughs> happens. What happens is someone will call you on the phone, ask you for two or three vital pieces of information, maybe pretend the Spectrum or some the cable company or the, the phone company to energy company, and you'll <laughs> fall for it. So I think a lot of it is just learning, okay, I got to be sure of who I'm talking to and who I'm giving information to. Once you do that, then you can join the digital age. You can join um, these things, and it's not a trap because you're informed. But everything works like that. You know, when you bought a car, at first you're trapped because they, they may... You, you may change your oil, you go change it to a place and they charge you $40, and then you find out, well, I didn't really have to go to the dealership. I could have gone somewhere else. But So it's all education, and it's slow, and it's a process. Okay. What is the real reason for Global Accessibility Day? Okay, let Gary take it, and then I'll take it. So the reason for it, is because of the importance of having access to digital content in a nutshell. And we bring global awareness to it because of the fact that standards for making digital content accessible were created by the World Wide Web Consortium, right? And so these were basically a group of people from different countries They came together and said, this is what is required for a standard for accessibility. And then also, it's to make people aware of the need to have accessible digital content. Because a lot of people, I mean, you could walk down the street right now, whether it's in America or Jamaica, 
And you can say to somebody, hey, did you know blind people can use a smartphone? Yeah, I'd, I'd venture to say seven, eight people out of ten be like, get out of here. How's that possible? Um, even even yeah, the stores that sell the equipment. Yeah, they don't know. They don't know that you can actually, mm-hmm. you know, use it to access your so smartphone or different. Th- even mm-hmm. <clears throat> even you go into Best Buy. I mean, you go into Best Buy and you tell somebody, "Hey, I need I need help turning on narrator." Mm-hmm. You know, nine times out of ten, they're not even gonna know what you're talking about. What what narrator? No, or no, no, no. or I need voiceover. What voiceover? What? Right. So. All of these things, and and this is just from a blind a blindness perspective, but we have to stress that digital accessibility is not just for blind people; it's for any group of people that suffers from any disability, whether it be a hearing disability, whether it be a situation where, you know, I have um, photosensitivity, you know, where I can't have a bunch of stuff flashing at me, or it could make me have a seizure. Whether it could be um, you know, people who have limited reach and strength where, you know, I can't, I can only use one hand or, you know, people who use a, a mouth stick, you know, instead of, you know, a pointing device, you know, they use their head to control their computer or people who are dyslexic and don't need a whole bunch of information put in front of them at one time. You know, this is, this is all encompassing when it comes to accessibility. So that's my take. Okay, this one is for John. If I live in the Caribbean or India or Africa, why should I be excited about Global Accessibility Day? So I think that global accessibility is gaining ground. I I think that you should be excited about it because there are things in place that people are trying to do where the it, it, the cost isn't there where it used to be. So an example, and, and we reference a lot of visual examples because we're all blind, of course. Mm-hmm. But one of the examples is NVDA. That's not a cost to anybody, but a lot of different countries can use it, right? And I think individuals like Gary and myself can drive the narrative and initiative that we have all these people in all these countries that now, because of the pandemic, has shined the light on remote work, that this is, this is a game changer. The best employees in the world typically are the disabled because they're going to be extremely consistent. They're going to show up whether it's virtual or not. And so I think there's some excitement. And and for me, really building that blind people in other countries or deaf or deafblind or or mobile challenge can now work remotely. And so I'm excited about, uh, even at Lenovo, I've had meetings with China and Romania and India working on accessibility standards and trying to make our products better. and, 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 And they're serious about it. They've asked questions. Uh, Gary and I have engaged and talked, and one person sent in 25 questions. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a commitment to saying, we care about this. Let's do something about this. 
And this is going to touch everybody, but it takes time. The iPhone's an example of that, right? There are a lot of countries using the Android phone as well with TalkBack. So there's some excitement. Uh, um, Amazon with Alexa. So there's, a, there's excitement uh, brewing out there. And sometimes change is slow. But uh, I, th- I think it'll uh, it'll reach a lot of countries soon. Well, the, the, I agree with you. The phone has come a long way. I mean, there was a time when if you're blind, for example, it, the only way you could use the phone effectively was if you had an Apple phone. I would venture to say that these days things are much better. And you, yes. you have a choice. You, you can do. use I mean, Apple or Android. There's not a great deal of difference. Except monetary. Pardon? Right, right. Except the monetary aspect. Money's but money's even... And I think yes. what benefits third world countries and second world countries is that if I can get in an Android eco, ecosystem, ecosystem, even if, even if uh, I can't get into the Apple, at least I can get in, you know, because one and thing that I have, will, I have access to knowledge. Right. And people will understand once you learn um, an ecosystem, it's not learn. It's not hard to learn a second. Yeah. I think that's always the challenge. The first one's tough. I don't mm-hmm. care if it's Apple. I don't care if it's Android, Windows. And we, and we haven't spoken on Windows, but. That's a whole thing, right? Jaws and NVDA. And, and then Mac. One time, one time it was um, window eye. Window eye, system access. But Narrator is, is here. So we do have to bear in mind we've got a lot of different systems. We've got a lot of things we're working, working through, working on and learning. And so we, keep, we, keep, we keep using a, a set of letters here that maybe some people are not too familiar with. NVDA. Yeah. Right, so non-visual desktop access, which is a screen reader. Non-visual desktop access. Right. Now, yes. one yes. thing I do want to speak on is, um, you know, money used to be a barrier to these technologies um, for us, even for phones. You know, there was a time when you you didn't get a screen reader, a free screen reader with your phone oh. out of the box. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, there was a time... Yeah, you know, yeah. in the early 2000s, if you wanted a smartphone, you only had two choices as a blind person. You had Symbian um, and you had <clears throat> Windows Mobile. And with both of these, you know, operating systems, you needed to spend anywhere from 100 to $300 just to be able to use even the primal things of just being able to access your contacts and text and Things like that, you know, you had um, talks, um, mm-hmm. and you had mobile speak, yeah, and yeah. these programs you had to pay for these. Um, That's now, right. now, what carriers tried to do is they tried to subsidize these. Well, some of the carriers, I think, only carrier I knew that actually did it was AT and T, and they would actually help you, you know, to kind of subsidize the price mm-hmm. of you know mobile speak or whatever. But that was a premium. It wasn't something that you just got for free. When I first got my Nokia, having spent a lot of money to buy the Nokia, I then had to go and find money. To, to get the screen reader. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's right. Tops. I remember the, no, the, 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 the Nokia N86. I don't even remember the one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Nokia N86 and, um, and you know, in, in the in the Windows mobile the Windows mobile side, you had like the Motorola Q and stuff like that. Yeah. And but you know, by the time you put this, you know, three hundred dollar screen reader on the phone, you didn't really have <laughs> space for much else. No, because matter of fact, the Motorola phone was you know those kind of poly kind of thing. Like, I mean, it was just so weird. I remember the first mobile thing. The same Motorola you thought I bought it from AT and T back in 2002 or three. Somewhere there, man, but wow. You remember that, John? Through I came through. You guys are talking about mobile technology, but I grew up with the PCs when we had things called Arctic Vision. We had oh, we, we had we're going that. way back. Yes. We had an eighty eighty six, eighty eighty eight, eighty two eighty six, three eighty six, four eighty six, five eighty six. Was that was that the one where you you had an external speech card. You had to put, well, you actually put a card in for Arctic, but for the Echo PC, you had a, an external synthesizer. Yeah. And back then we were using serial ports, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we weren't using the uh, built-in synthesizers we have today. Look back oh, even... Time. What's that? Sorry, Alinda, you want to say something? I said that was before our time. My time. Yes, yes. That's before your time, Alinda. Yes, yes, for sure. Remember, you are young. <laughs> one them one them pins on that on that serial port breaks. You're done. I'll bring you a little closer to your time. So narrator and Windows XP yeah. was like a toy. It oh, really yeah. wasn't that good. Yeah. Now narrator has the really stepped is, up. Is almost up with the big boys. Somewhat yes, okay. And, somewhat and, okay. Well, no, no, no. It's it's more than somewhat okay. No, it's 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 a lot. I mean, it's it's actually comparable. You can the, the things that you can do, you know, with NVDA or Jaws. If if you absolutely had to, you could honestly just use Narrator and you'd be fine. Narrator, and now Windows, uh, uh, Microsoft is has an initiative. Where all things of their products is going to work with Narrator. Now they just initiated that a couple of years ago, but they're actually making it happen. They're working on Microsoft Dynamics. They've done a wonderful job with Office 365. I mean, they actually, mm-hmm. oh yeah, with that. Okay, mm-hmm. and now we're looking at uh, the Xbox, right? Yeah, that's had Narrator for a few years now. Vibrating and it's doing other things with the controller. So they have, um, they've stepped up. I just got out of conference with them last week, the Accessibility Summit. Okay, and so they—they're really—they're pretty serious out here. I think the only reason why they don't have the built-in screen reader perfect is because I think they have a gentleman's agreement with Freedom Scientific. Right. They have enough developers, y'all. They got—they probably got three thousand or ten thousand developers. If they really wanted to, worldwide. They could, yeah. They they could take out Freedom Scientific easily, you yeah. know. And that's even including Braille displays. Now, the Apple and, and Microsoft they can make their own Braille display, mm-hmm. you know. So, I, I think that there's a, a there's a little bit of well, how would this look to society, you know? And I think that the companies have said we're going to partner instead of me taking over. I am proud of NVDA though. 
Oh, sure. sure. Certainly. You know, I talked to those guys. I talked mm-hmm. to Tyler before, and what a what a great guy. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, it has come a long way. Yes, uh, it has come a long way. I mean, it's, it's gotten mm-hmm. really better, to be not, honest. Yes, you. not only that. They, they have really opened up the market for mm-hmm. developing countries. Uh, uh, and the thing about NVDA is it's it's very nimble. You know, it, it doesn't take up a lot of system resources. It It's portable. Yes. You know, and, and so, and and really that's that's kind of the next step that I think, you know, job access with speech. Because keep in mind, you know, JAWS wasn't created, you know, for people to, you know, play RS games or watch Netflix. It was really created for job accessibility. Mm-hmm. Job access with speech. Yeah, yeah, that's really what it, it it was about. It was, um, I'd actually read something earlier that, um, Jaws was actually created in um mm-hmm. 1989 by somebody named Henter. Back then, you had Henter Joyce yeah, was the yeah. company. So, um, created by Ted Henter. Ted, Ted Henter, yeah. So Ted, Ted and I talked on the phone mm-hmm. when we had Jaws for DOS. Okay. So oh, that's I in the 80s. That. Yes, I can remember. <laughs> I talked to the guy. That's where I started. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's where I started. Yeah, Ted actually took Ted technical support calls. <laughs> you could actually talk to him. So it was oh. really cool. You know. But he had actually been involved in an accident, and that's how he had lost his sight. Right. If right. I'm not mistaken. And so that led him, you know, to create, you know, Jaws, job access with speech. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that is awesome. But um, as you saw, NVDA, NVDA has really come a long way. I think one of the good things about NVDA, um, it's able to reach persons in different parts of the world who cannot afford a screen reader. Yes. And look look at the price of Jaws. I mean, it's just ridiculous expensive. And How many persons could afford that? Well, it 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 you know we we've 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 kind of come down on that. Um, you know, with the whole annual pricing structure. Subscription, um, right? Yeah, so I mean, we're you know, Freedom Scientific is is realizing that you know we're not going to be able to live off of this twelve hundred dollar model that we've been living on. But but to Rocco's point, I do think that MVDA has is has definitely served a purpose, right? Uh-huh. E- yeah. Even in the midst of what we do, um, you know, here with UVC Radio, not, um, not we we could not have done it. Nothing. But let's, we we could have we could have not done it we could not have done it without NVDA to be able to reach the people. Go to certain region of the mm-hmm. world. Ninety dollars is some people's salary a month. Right. I agree with you. Yeah. And yeah. the thing the thing that I you know about NVDA that that's fascinating to me is we've been able to train people around the world to be able to work with people that yeah. you know we we otherwise would have not been able to reach. You know, if not for NVDA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. So NVDA have really come along. And the other one they call, I think it's t- t- Thunder something. Do you know? You talking about Thunder? Yeah, Thunder. It, it, that, that's been around for a minute, but that really hasn't. <laughs> that's, that really hasn't, you know. No, I've never heard of that one. Thunder and they are the yes. Windows Eye. What you had, oh, Window Eyes. Yeah, but that got bought up by uh, Freedom Scientific, which is now Vespero. Oh, um, yeah, they bought uh, GW Micro as jobs, and they combined 
um, Zoom text, uh, mm-hmm. and now they kind of fusion. So fusion, fusion combines Zoom text and JAWS together. Um, mm-hmm. Another thing worth mentioning, and we talked about a lot of the screen readers and software, but don't forget Braille displays. There's two Braille displays out right now on the market that are $500 a piece. Um, so that's up and coming as well. Right, versus 3000 or more. I was in a discussion a couple of weeks ago, and some people were of the feeling that these cheaper um, displays are not very robust and that they break down very easily. Is that true? Well, I think they're new. Um, anything that's new is going to have those challenges, but mm-hmm. they're trying to make them with different technology. They're trying to, even even my company is talking about Braille and they've been asking me some questions. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think companies are trying to think about how can we get this Braille in a, in a, in a cheaper space, which I do understand that. Um, but at the same time, yeah, the Braille display for $500 might last four years instead of 10 years, but it is $500. <laughs> right. And we do have to. Yeah. It's like, and, and, Braille, and Braille is inherently expensive. It's going to be different from a new car. I agree with you up to a point, but my $500 has to stretch more than yours. Well, it's going to me, so don't be upset. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It's taking care of your brother. <laughs> you know, now that you know that, you see it all differently now. <laughs> but seriously, the, the technique for writing Braille on the displays have changed with the cheaper models. Because they well, are using yeah, the technology, right. Right. Kind of technology. And that's allowed, I heard. I haven't seen one, so I can't tell y'all what Me neither. Like. I've just read about it. But I mean, I will see one soon, but I haven't seen one. And I mean, I might even buy one, you know, to get it over with. And then I'll really see. And 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 like you, if my $500 don't hold up, I'm going to be calling somebody. <laughs> I'm curious. I'm curious, though, is what was the real role um, of a, of a bailiff? I mean, is it really, you say it's really necessary, though? Certainly. So oh, yeah. let's 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 talk a little here briefly because I'm a real I Braille time on the Braille display. Braille proponent. <laughs> so, I can't relate to that. <laughs> so, um, as a child, if you're blind early, it's your pen and pencil, you know, right. your paper. Okay, mm-hmm. and so it's your literacy, and the truth is. Even if you're older and you're listening to the phone and speech, you're technically illiterate if you can't spell the words. If you can't, if you can't, if you can't spell the words mm-hmm. and do the things that 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 you need to do, so it, it's very concerning and dis disconcert that mm-hmm. people say, "Oh, we don't need Braille anymore." Those people don't know the value. Of Braille. It's big. It's bigger than you think. Like I can teach mathematics, I can do PowerPoints, and it makes you visual. So when I'm in a meeting and mm-hmm. we are all connected on Teams mm-hmm. and I do a slideshow, there's mm-hmm. no delay from me talking and reading 
than there is when you're listening and reading. I can tell when you use a speech because you got to hear what the speech says mm-hmm. and then, then you got to say what it says. Yes. Yes. A Braille person sees it simultaneously. That's right. That's one of the biggest differences. Okay. And it's also a lot less socially awkward. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. when, when I'm, you know, when even when you're, you know, doing customer service work, for example, you want to use Braille primarily because, you know, you imagine, you know, you're talking to somebody on the phone, they're asking about their order, and all they hear is, what are we going to be like, what is that? At all. Yeah. What is that? Some kind of alien? It's like, what? That was really twofold because. I am a Braille reader and I, I, I learned Braille at, you know, as a child, but I find that so many of the younger blind folks nowadays depend solely on these devices and not learning Braille. That's because of the tutors. That's because of the tutors. Yeah. And, that, yeah. that and because it's, it's not being invested in. Yes. And I saw, that's unfortunate because there's a young lady over here. She's, she is not a lawyer, and yet she said she had um, all of these Braille books to give away. And she said, "Oh, um, I don't know. The last day I read, I, I don't know, last day I read something in Braille." And I was like, "Really? I mean, to me, I see Braille as such as an." As an people and young people they get offended if you say, you know, if you don't read Braille, you're illiterate. Yeah, well, they will get But I agree with I agree with John. You're, you're technically illiterate. So that right. was, you can't you can't read. If you can't read, you can't read. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Right, but let's be clear broken. right now. So well, I think I get all of that. For, for example, like me, I mean, more the visual impairment, more for 2020 when regular school and re- everything. It just a few years ago, I lost my vision. Is that really hmm. make me illiterate? I don't think. No, no. What we're what we're talking about is we're not talking about people that you know lose their sight when they get older. Because that's what we're talking about is 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 people who are younger. Yeah. Who yeah. who don't who don't take you know who are either not afforded the opportunity or don't take the opportunity to learn braille. Well, I'll tell you this right now. At one point, I think I was very ignorant because of this little Braille thing. We can look at the Braille. I was like, I just can't process. I wonder where people read all these little dot, dots, dots everywhere. But, you know, still, still, I still learn Braille. But I think thinking about it right now is nothing like when you can look in a book or or, or whatever and read. I would say right now, possibly using your finger to touch and you uh, and you feel whatever you're reading. It's like you're yeah. more into what you're reading yes. than listening to ah. a screen reader. But Rocco, when I was in the working world mm-hmm. and I had to do a, present, a slide presentation, right? I had to keep on saying, next slide, next slide. I couldn't monitor the thing myself. If, right. I, had, if I had a Braille display. Yes, at that time. At that time, I, I could handle myself well. Right. Yeah. That's but, true. But in those days, the braille displays were extremely expensive. expensive. Yeah. I, I can imagine. You're talking about two thousand five hundred. Even now, embosses are not like like household printers. So, Rocco, mm-hmm. let's let's take a look at what you said about. Uh, okay, I'm 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 I went through life twenty twenty, and you know the braille. So. How old were you when you lost your eyesight? Uh, maybe I was like 
16. So for me, being an instructor and having lived the life as well, it's totally unacceptable for a person at 16 not to learn Braille because that is too early. You have got, you think about this. If you live 16 years, well, even even you've got got 45, 50, 60 more years to live. (laughs) So that's what you have to look at. And so whoever instructs a person has to have that concept. So when I had a veteran who came to me after the military and they're 65, I'm not teaching them Braille because they've seen for 60 years. So mm. we're at the point we got to catch up quick. They got things <laughs> to do. I think I was at 16, 16. Mm-hmm. Now I'm just saying sometimes mm-hmm. people are done a disservice because the people take a quick way. You know, but yes. the, the thing yeah. is, because Braille is tedious and it takes time. It's not like speech because you hear it and, you know, that's that. Mm-hmm. But I do think if I was 16, anybody came to me as a teenager in their 20s, they learn in Braille. They won't get away from me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Learning Braille because you got the next 50, 60 years. But it is individual. I'm, I'm just having a point yeah, of discussion, I but that. I totally agree with you. I think. There's a place definitely out there for Braille. And um, I mean, I'm willing to learn it. But as, it, as I said, it just looks so funny to me. I just cannot process it. Well, that's the, well, that's the difference, Rocco. The difference is, is that you're willing to learn it. But we're talking about young people who don't want to learn it yeah. and they yeah. don't want to be called illiterate. Yeah, but not yeah, only that as well, too, guys. It's and they don't, in a lot of instances, they don't want to learn it. I'm willing to learn it. The Braille. Well, was really, not going to be short. You see, one of the things as well, lose, start losing the vision. It's like, You've been thrown into the lines then, start learning the computer mm-hmm. or with screen reader and stuff like, as I say to you, right now I find reading with a screen reader is, is all good. But what I realize as well is with a lot of people, when they read off the screen reader, the same way other screen reader pronounce the word, if they are reading, the way it's inside. Oh, yeah, it happens. And you can't spell it. Unless you go and go character by ridiculous. Yeah, that's why. It's weird because <laughs> even, in our, even in our profession, um, you know, people say WCAG, like WCAG instead of WCAG, because that's how Jaws pronounces WCAG. It says WCAG. So you have people in this industry who say WCAG standards, and it's not WCAG, it's WCAG. All yeah. right, right, right. But that's how the screen reader says it. It says WCAG, so that's how they say it. You know, our next segment, we should talk a little bit about access for people who are deafblind. And uh, John, you're going to lead us off on this part of the discussion. Uh, what is available now for people who are deafblind? So the main media that deafblind use is Braille. And we touched on Braille earlier. And the reason why there was such an outcry, because there was talk about getting rid of Braille, um, a real discussion. But I think Europe got in an uproar. And of course, in the U.S., got in an uproar with the deafblind because that's the only source of communication. So for those that may not know, Braille has kind of a structure. It has six dots. I should say a structure, not kind of a structure. Been around since 1800s, right? But uh, six, six dots and eight dots. The eight dots really came about because of computer. So mainly, let's look at the six dots. We have six dots. 
Um, at one time, we had a device called a slate and stylus, mm-hmm. and we would write on that. We'd have, we could create a cell, and that cell was comprised of six dots. All right. One, two, three on the left, four, five, six on the right. And those combinations will create what we call letters. And we separated Braille into grades. Uh, they say grades now. They say uncontracted, contracted, um, things like that. But back when we were doing it, it was grade one, which is uncontracted, mm-hmm. grade two, mm-hmm. which is contracted. There was also a grade three, grade three. that was like steno, stenography, mm-hmm. right? And there's also Nemeth, which is mathematics and scientific Braille. So understand, too, that we have tables of Braille. So when we get into software, we have tables of Braille. We have American table. But we also have tables like Spanish Braille. We have Spanish Braille. We have uh, Japanese Braille, Thai Braille. So all these countries have different. Yes, we have so many different types of braille says so country specific language specific i would say um so it's a it's a it's a challenge the biggest place there are a couple of places banner braille association of north america.org that's one place aph.org is another place um there's a thermoform association that that's that's another place there's a lot of places that deal with Braille, but if you have a Braille display or you have a phone, in that phone is software and there's all kinds of tables for different languages. Duxbury is the Braille translator. Oh, yeah. That is, is the biggest thing out there because um, it's been around probably the longest. There was something called Hot Dots at one time. There was a software company, but the Braille... Authority is probably now Duxbury with the the software that they have. Also, there's music Braille. Dancing Braille music. That's a thing. Okay. I don't know it, but my ex-wife knows it. And so it was a thing that they would teach in school. So that gives you an idea of how Braille is kind of constructed, um, how you... uh, how you deal with Braille. Also, we had a Braille writer that had like eight keys on it, you know, three on the left, three on the right, but a space bar, I guess it's got nine keys, but a backspace and an enter. That's the manual way to write Braille. Now we don't do that. We have Braille displays that you've heard people talk about. We have Braille displays from Treatment Scientific, the Focus, of course, is the biggest one they have. Humanware has the Braille note. They have an Apex. They have a, I can't think of the, um, call it for the, they have a more current one as well. Outside of the Braille writer, you had, um, which was kind of like the manual typewriter, um, you have the, the Mountbatten. You guys remember the Mountbatten? We also had the, we also had the Versa Braille that used cassettes. Um, I never seen that one. Yeah, we've had a lot. Of, we've had a lot of iterations of digital braille. And you you remember the Mountbatten though? Yes, I did. Mister Will, you ever seen one of those? There was a, there was a type and speak. Yes. Oh yeah, and the braille and speak, and a type and, and speak. braille and yes. speak and type yes. and speak. 
Right. And it was a Braille speak. I, I had a Braille speak. Yeah, the Braille speak used the, the, the keyboard that we're talking about. The type and speak used the typing keyboard. Yeah. So a lot of people don't know that you learn typing and Braille simultaneously when yep. you're a child. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um, what about what about this tenotypes? I remember oh, yeah. back, back in the in the fifties, tenotypes used to use it's like a ticker tape, eh? It's a, it's a like a dictaphone. And 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 they braid on it, and as they braid, teletype. Yes, they use the teletype into a basket. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Oh well, computers had that. Yeah, this ream and ream of um. Oh my God! Rolls, rolls, rolls through. (laughs) Oh well. But I remember that, and they had a special uh, machine. I think it had what seven or eight keys. That they would use to to write, because there was this girl who she was doing a training course with Barclays Bank, and that's what she was using. Okay. Yeah, I remember. I remember the. Um... Wasn't there something? Sorry, sorry. Um... Go on. What you got? What you got? No, I was gonna say, wasn't? Is there something that the deaf um, deaf blind persons use that? Uh, has a voice feature as well as a braille feature. I was listening to some, an interview with, um, oh gee, I can't remember her name. She gave us a, a talk at the White House, um, deaf, a deaf blind young lady. And they, was, they were talking about, they were saying she used something to, I don't remember what it was. Is, you're familiar with that, John? Something she used that they, the person was able to say. Somebody what speaks, but it translates. I think it translates for her. Into print. Oh, oh. But she, oh okay. Somebody, somebody so she types. Head. She types, and then the person trans uh, can come up on their screen as well, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Okay. And it comes up oh. on like text to speech yeah. type thing. Of it now, but yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. Um, unless it's really new. Yes, I, I'm it, not it, aware. Of it. Yes. Oh, okay. It's 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 almost like a teletype, but she's typing at one end. Mm-hmm. The person. The person sees on the screen what she's typing, and then they translate. And and she is speaking into the into the phone, and as it goes back, it translates into words. Yeah. Are we talking like TTY? Now it could be yes, called a, something. It could, be it could be the but, new version uh, of deafblind communicator. All right. Oh, okay. Could be. Yeah. Because we had some things like that. But they weren't very successful. So this one could be a newer version of that. John, another piece of equipment that I think we need to talk about is the development of the curse wire. The curse so, wire. Remember <laughs> the, 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 the reading edge. The size of a washing machine. <laughs> yes. Not, not only yeah. that, but let's it not leave be- out the Opticon. Oh yes! Oh, oh my goodness! Uh, yeah. That was a thing yeah. back then. I saw that one. But with the I heard about. Yes, with the buzzing and the pins, you put your yeah. finger in there, the pins, and the it had the shape of the letters. Me. Yes, honestly. <laughs> oh wow! As a child, I could not touch those pins. Yeah, oh. I did it all the time. That was. I thought me. it was one of the best tools. 
<laughs> well, well, I I could see as a child why it would scare you. I don't, I don't remember. How did well, I, I was a like child when I was doing it. Ah, <laughs> uh. but but again, you know, when I was a child, they just so you're gonna do it. I mean, what the right? <laughs> you, know, then, you know, I should up and do it. <laughs> you know how how we managed to get that. I think that was. I think that was through somebody in the United States. We managed to get one, one optocon. Right, because that was a big thing here. I mean, yes. that, there's a room somewhere full of opticons mm-hmm. <laughs> at a lot of different schools for the blind because they really invested in it. But it wasn't a bad investment because mm-hmm. it showed you the shapes of the letters. You could actually see that O was a circle. Yes, you could see that oh. I was a straight line up and down. Yeah. But it's all so, pins arranged, right? So you right. were like writing, you were like t- writing print, but yet still you you would be able to feel the letters. Well, no, no, you would you would take the feel you're reading. So, oh, you're but reading. It allowed you to see how the letters are shaped. So if you had letters. to write your name, mm-hmm. you uh-huh. you would know how the J looks, mm-hmm. or you would know how an uh-huh. H looks. Like that uh-huh. that that H from what I remember, you have a line on the left, a line on the right. And a line going yeah. across. Across, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Well, I only know that because an Opticon. <laughs> I want to know. Oh, okay. that. Yeah. So it's a beautiful tool. But as he talks about the Kurzweil, he used to be big, man. He used yeah. to be in a room. Oh, yeah. It was in his own room. Yep. That's oh, how much yeah. it costs. It costs $10,000. Yes. Wow. And, and you and, put a piece of paper on that thing and. Yep. And it would, and it would scan it. Mm-hmm. But slowly, they went to work and they moved from Kurzweil three thousand to mm-hmm. one thousand, which yeah. was which was software, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it went to where you could put it on your computer and scan. It took a long time between Kurzweil one thousand and OpenBook, which is Freedom Scientific's uh-huh. version of scanning. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, now we have AI, right? Now you do it with your phone. So AI on the phone does everything. But we had can of B reader on the phone. Yep. Mm-hmm. That was a hundred bucks. Right. Yeah. I paid that hundred bucks for that. Right. But yeah. they got me for a hundred, so I donated. <laughs> they, they caught me with that one too because I right. bought it for a hundred. Right. So someone mm-hmm. scored, you know. So, so right. well, he's probably still alive. He probably didn't do bad on the deal. <laughs> yeah. But I, but again I, I had the privilege of meeting Ray some years ago. Wow, that's cool. Oh yeah, that's I cool. never met him, but he was at yeah, well I didn't meet him in person, but he was at an NFB meeting mm-hmm. that I went to in one twenty thirteen, I think it was or twenty eleven. I, I also met Ted some years ago. Oh. Yeah, what's, yeah, and Ted I just dialogued with so much that you know, I know him anywhere. His voice is probably different now, but I mm-hmm. I would have known him anywhere. Mm. Yeah. Um do you guys know, just out of curiosity, any of you familiar with Ann Taylor? She worked at NFB. I think now she's at Microsoft. Yeah, I feel like I have I've name's I name's may have spoken to her one time. No. Yeah. She yeah. was she was technical, wasn't she? Oh yeah. She's big technical. Yeah, I think I saw her one time at an event. So I know she's at Microsoft, but it's not simple to to find her. But my two friends from Thailand um, actually came to America, and that's someone that they befriended, befriended and um, watched her go up through the ranks. So oh. that, that's pretty interesting. But 
this, that. So maybe. Sorry. Go ahead, Gary. So maybe we could talk a little bit about um, why is digital accessibility important for the average business? Okay. So when we look at that, we got to say, if we look at Microsoft, Google, Facebook, um, Lenovo, CBS, right? So they're looking at this accessibility in another um, form. So we talk about accessibility because we live the life, right? We understand it. They've actually got it grouped in inclusive and diversity, right? So they've, they've got this as, as a part of their roadmap for diversity and inclusiveness. And so that's why the businesses are looking at accessibility. Twofold. One, of course, you get sued, right? Let's be honest. Some people... Right. people a lot of it has to deal with compliance. And they're like, oh, crap. We have, to, we have to tighten up our game. The other one, the three things. The second one is compliance. Like you said, hey, Department of Justice or the, um, you know, there's web content accessibility guidelines. There's, there's this um, now the CVAA guidelines. That's video has to be a certain way now. Right. So, Caption, yeah. video, audio. Uh, you, you, you have that. But there are companies just feel it's the right thing to do. So. Mm-hmm. That's the other one. So I think when you look at a threefold model, I also think they, they're learning little by little. This is a struggle. It's so hard to go back and fix something rather than building it in from the beginning. Right. So at Lenovo, what we're doing is we have a diversity by design review board. And when the products come through, we look at them, we talk about them. And if we're not pleased, they come to me for an accessibility consultation. And then we talk to them about, this is what you need to do. We have an accessibility management platform tool that we use from Level Access. And we walk them through the process. And we try to teach them. My job is to teach them the value of accessibility. And why this is so tedious and hard today is because we didn't do it before. It's hard to retrofit a website as CBS that we've been running for 12 years. But we know that. So we'll work on it. But if we redo a site or a segment, now we know that we need to take the guidelines in, into, to, uh, you know, into, into a factor. We need to factor those in now. So that's what they weren't doing. Now they're doing that. Now they're really are taking this seriously. And it's not just in America, it's in Canada. It's 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 in a lot of it's a lot of countries are starting to to join this. John, tell me what makes a website accessible? In a, in a nutshell, but what are the main points that you look for in determining whether or not a website is accessible? So I'm going to say a couple of things and then I'm going to let Gary take it over because he does the testing. I, I do more consulting and advising than testing, even though we both have our, our trusted tester certification because that's important. Um, but I think that 
when you browse a website, especially with a screen reader, you have to have good habits. Well, one of the habits is I go to the top of that website and I browse it manually and I look for things like, is this a good, am, am I going through it? What am I hearing? Then I, I, I want to be able to, to do synopsis. Like, I want to be able to navigate by headings. I want to be You're able right. to navigate by links. I want to mm-hmm. be able to navigate by visited links, unvisited links, um, non-text, tables, mm-hmm. forms. But when I, I'm a form, I want to make sure the buttons speak. I want to make sure that, you know, as, as I tab through or arrow through, that I know when I'm at edit field labeled as opposed to a combo box. All these things, even though they may say that at a field or a combo box or whatever, they got to have a label. They got to have a label mm-hmm. that you can hear or read in Braille. Mm-hmm. So that's my small uh, version of it. And Gary can take it away from a more of a, a testing technical point. So when we are looking at accessibility of a website, um, a lot of it boils down to understanding what HTML code does what. And sometimes what we do um, from a visual standpoint is we will create a web page and we will, you know, change the font of something like about us. We'll change it um, and we'll make it bold and we'll, you know, make it look like a heading but it's not programmatically set as a heading because we didn't you know put the the heading syntax around that basically the code in html that says this is a heading and so visually it renders as a heading but from a screen reader perspective it's not rendering as a heading because we didn't use the proper code to ensure that it's a heading and it's little things like this like if i'm navigating a page and i want to navigate by heading but you don't render the headings correctly using proper HTML markup. Right. I'm like, I don't see any headings on this page. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Oh, well go to the, go to the contact us heading. Well, I don't see that as a heading. And the only way I know, and most people, you know, they're not going to look at, well, what's the font, you know, what's all that. You're just reading, you're reading that information. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have this, um, you know, protocol, this ARIA protocol, which is your accessible, rich internet application, basically where we can um, use certain, you know, syntax that only a screen reader can see to say what this thing does. But if we use proper techniques in HTML5, which is, you know, hypertext markup language, which is what you use to code your sites if we use it properly from the beginning we don't have to rely so heavily on aria if we do it right like we said like john said earlier when we do something from the beginning the way it's supposed to be done we don't have to go back and use a bunch of aria and things like that to try to retrofit what's already there and like we said with you know with forms you know i'm sure we've all seen a form where you know, we get to the end of the form, we click submit. Sometimes it, you know, we, it doesn't load, but we don't get any indication if there's any errors. We don't get any indication if there's any issues. Mm-hmm. You know, we just we just stuck there. And so what 
we have to do is make sure that you know errors are clear um if there are any errors um you know we need to make sure that color is not the only thing that's used to indicate a required field like we need to write you know an asterisk and required but sometimes people they'll say you know fields marked in red are required well what if i can't see or what if i'm colorblind what happens to me then and so but beyond that you know you have the you know contrast ratio making sure that you know elements have proper contrast um Mm-hmm. You know, and, and there's so many different variables that you have to look at and test. But the biggest thing is making sure that you have proper structure, proper semantic structure mm-hmm. on the pages themselves. And when we do that, then that person can navigate by heading or by link or by form or whatever they want to navigate by or region or, you know, whatever the case may be. And so that's that's the relevance of. You know, a lot of times accessibility comes down to using proper code. Most of the issues that I found during testing are because people don't use proper code or people don't know how to use code properly. The big the big companies, some of the big companies are guilty. For example, Microsoft. I noticed that in media player, Microsoft has a lot of buttons that are not not labeled. Yeah, and a lot of those programs are not um like really kept up with. Like um you know, Media Player is not really Microsoft's main thing anymore. Now it's uh Groove Music. Groove, yeah. Groove, yeah. yeah. So Groove is is the new So a lot of these programs they probably don't even work on anymore from an accessibility standpoint i mean when windows media player was out accessibility wasn't really something a whole lot of people no were talking about Mm -hmm. you know it was only in 2008 that we came up with the wcag 2.0 basically the basic standards of you know this is web accessible content you know and we've just come up with 2.1 in 2017, 2018, to talk more about, you know, interaction with mobile applications and stuff like that. So I don't think that Microsoft is doing a bad job. It's just a matter of it's a program that they're not really focused on anymore because now the big thing is, you know, Groove Music. But I find Groove is, uh, you find Groove is all that accessible? Well, I don't really use, to be honest with you, I don't really use it. Um, If you're trying to play, for example, if you're trying to play CDs using media player, it's not, it's not, not, it's it's not the best. VLC is pretty good. Oh, we know. I used to use, I used to use iTunes a lot. Winamp, Winamp is pretty good. Oh yeah, Winamp is great. Yeah. What about, what about, is VLC pretty good? Pretty good. I never tried VLC. Pretty good, yeah. VLC's good. So a couple couple of things before we get way out into those media player is that I want to say that we've thrown around some terms, but we haven't said much about them, right? So so we talked about semantics and we talked about HTML and we've talked about we've mentioned CSS and different things. So some of the people out there may not have any earthly idea what the heck we're talking about. So to to explain a little bit, HTML stands for Hypertech Markup Language. CSS stands for Cascading Style Sheets. Version 3 is what we use. 
So HTML is just code that's written. It's text. You can actually write it in Notepad. Right? Tells a computer yeah, still do what way. to do from a standpoint of a website. Right? Cascading style sheet says how do you want it to look. Right? And then we have other things, and we have other things that that Gary uses way more than me, and they call them CMS. Right? You know, and and those are things like WordPress. Right? So there's there's all kinds of ways to create content. And your content is what you're seeing, whether it's pictures, whether it's music playing, whether it's video showing, whether it's text, that's content. But I just wanted people to know that when you use a screen reader, what, what's happening is that screen reader ties into the code that's developed. So if there's a heading on the page, the screen reader uses a keystroke like H, and you can browse by headings, or mm. you can browse by I for items, mm. or L for list. But it's getting its information from the way the author mm. has coded their page. And so that's important to understand and tie it all together, because we've thrown around a lot of stuff, and I just wanted to make sure people have a sense of how this whole thing is organized. Very important. Mm -hmm. Very, very important. Mm -hmm. What about the future for accessibility, John? How do you see the future looking? You know, I'm real real optimistic. I think that, I think if these companies keep doing what they're doing, um, things things will get better. But I want to encourage everyone that's listening and, and anyway, if you get an opportunity and you can study um, accessibility or web development, this is the hottest thing out here. Mm-hmm. There are more jobs than there are people. However, when I say that, I'll give you a caveat. When I say there are more jobs than people, I'm talking about disabled people. The people that are getting these jobs are not disabled, which is a very disconcerting thing. Mm. Wow. Quite interesting. Yeah, nobody, nobody on my team. These jobs, guys, they're tailor-made for the disabled, but a lot of times either the disabled person don't want to put in the work or they don't know about it. Gary and I have been working on a curriculum. Don't get excited because this is still a ways away, but we have been working on a curriculum to teach web accessibility so that people in other countries can start saying, hey, I can do that. I'm even going to ask Lenovo soon, what would it look like if we get the Caribbean to work remote? What, what does that look like? What do we need to do? See, it's great for them because they already have, they're a global company. Okay, so they, they've got the security in place. They know how certain things work already. So this, this might be a great thing. They've got China, Romania, India. I told you I already spoke with those people and they're doing work online and submitting it to Lenovo already. So they, 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 this won't be a foreign concept. So that's what I'm looking into eventually. Awesome. Awesome. Interesting. Definitely. definitely I mean, hope that work out. Yeah. And we're also, you know, with CVS, you know, primarily, you know, we've moved to remote because of, you know, the pandemic, but it's something that we're also trying to hold on to as well. And, 
a lot of our consultants um, are from India. Um, you know, some of them work, you know, in India, some of them work here. And so, you know, it's it's not a foreign concept. I think our biggest obstacle um, in the Caribbean is going to be existing infrastructure. Will the existing infrastructure mm-hmm. um, be able to support the bandwidth needed, you know, to ensure that these remote jobs are sustainable? Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that we're going to get there because, um, especially with the introduction of five G, um, you know, I think five G is going to, you know, move throughout the Caribbean. Well, most um, most most countries have the five G thing. Yeah, and I mean, I've seen it where, you know, now even like different companies are using 5G to, you know, to provide in-home Wi-Fi. If we can get to that level of penetration, you know, that that would be an amazing thing. And I do think that, you know, the infrastructure will get there and it will be supported. Um, You know, I I do think that, that this is possible. Maybe... You know, um, not necessarily in the way we would think it would happen, but I, I do think that, you know, this is something that's eventually going to happen. Mm-hmm. I think 5G is really going to change the game for a lot of things. I, no, I was just going to say that would be a major advancement for the Caribbean because, you know, at where we are now, um, we, we do need to get on board with that sort of um, remote working stuff. And especially since the pandemic, you know, it, it is more, there's more room for that sort of um, scope in, in, in workplaces. But it's well, just, it's just well, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if, you know, we could, you know, set up some outposts in different places. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be nice to, to work for Lenovo and be like, you know what, you're, your job is to set up remote work in Jamaica. Wouldn't that be nice? Mm. Yeah, that would be great. But, I, and, that would be nice. Also, we need to step up local training. Training. Yeah. Well, that's what we're saying about, you know, you'd have to have someone like an ambassador, you know, for <laughs> Lenovo or whoever to come in, you know, and, and provide the training necessary so that, you know, your, your remote employees have the, the support. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and for yeah. Whatever country, respective countries that gonna be doing that with that country, definitely gonna we call it like invite a person to come over to train the people. Mm-hmm. Well, I I definitely I I wouldn't see why not, um, because at the end of the day, it's it's gonna benefit them. Yeah, yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. You know, I I'd, I'd, I'd be hard pressed, uh, you know, for Lenovo. I mean, for smaller companies, it might be harder, but for a company like CVS or Lenovo to come and say, this is what we want to do. And we're going to pay. Of course, we're going to, you know, exactly. pay, you know, to do this. I don't see any government shrugging their shoulders and saying, no, we can't do that. No. Well, Lenovo can do what a lot of people can't do. So they can come. For those that don't have a computer, they give them the computer. You see? And that's the thing. These jobs give you a computer to work on. It's their computer. Mm-hmm. They can control it. They can network it. They can watch you. Mm-hmm. I installed something on a computer. I got an email. They said, what are you doing installing that software? <laughs> so they, <laughs> they, they, can, they can do that. You know, mm-hmm. but, but they remind, they remind senior, you you're being watched. 
But but if you're a senior <laughs> member, you don't freak out because you know you can do that. You know, you just get in touch with them. But I'm just saying though, you're not gonna do anything that they don't know about. You know, they're gonna be paying attention. But now you don't have to buy a computer for work. They gave you that computer for work. You see, mm-hmm. to see the model I'm looking at. So yeah, that's yeah. that's that's what I'm saying. And though um and I do think countries and Linda commented on this. I don't know if she's joking, but but uh, the countries in Caribbean are a little different in that I've, I've heard them say, well, I, you know, we need to do it in Trinidad. We need to do it in Barbados. We need to do it. You know, in the U.S., you'll kind of hear people say, well, let's do it in the U.S. But that's not always the same in the Caribbean. You know, I think it's some fragmentation. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think if, if so let's say times. Linda's the spokesperson for the Caribbean, I would like to see her say, well, look, it, it's worked for me in Barbados. Check it out. I got a girl in Jamaica. Let me tell my girlfriend and encourage her to be the spokesman in Jamaica. You see what I'm saying? So let's not just yes. lose it in Barbados. You know? No. Let's no, share no, that. We won't want to, no, we won't want to segregate it that much that only one country, island benefits or anything like that. We want right. it to be, you know. But I see that a little bit. Yeah, we do see that. In the Caribbean. <laughs> Where so many it's, countries it's island specific and people like, yeah. well, I got to get mine, you know, whatever. Right. That, that's your, that's your space over there. This is your space over here. That would not be the narrative that companies no. would be, be selling. Right. We got, we got three, three, four different currencies. You know, it's, it's very fragmented. Years ago, years ago, you know what struck me? The politics involved. I went, oh God! I went to Spain, and we were having some discussions with a Spanish organization for the blind about work in the Caribbean, and they said flatly to us, to Avila and myself, "When you come a little, you sound a little far. We're not prepared to talk to you because you're not talking to Cuba." Oh, and in those days, based on the politics of the day. We couldn't go to Cuba because the U.S. would cut us off. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. You know, yeah, because... You know, yeah, cause, woke me up. We had this big communist witch hunt. A question, though, that I wanted to find from John. John, are you one of the um, specialized health persons on Be My Eyes? Because I've, 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 I haven't gone through the whole list. But I don't remember seeing Lenovo as one of the persons, the, the companies listed as um, specialized help. Can you tell me that? No, I think they do dedicate some of their people for as you know to help. But not John. I don't think John does. No, I don't think. He, no, he doesn't work in that aspect of it. No. Oh, but they they do. So they are on board on the special as a part of the special specialized mm-hmm. list. Um, with my eyes, you're saying that. Yes. Lenovo oh, does, okay. yes, but not John. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's a different that's a different area. But um we couldn't end this discussion without touching on GPS. GPS navigation GPS far away. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah, boy. Mm-hmm. I I don't know if John is still there. But but Gary, do you want to pick that up at all? What, what? As far as GPS is concerned, yeah. Um, 
I mean, I, I'm kind of a testimony, I feel, to GPS because as a blind person, um, I can go just about anywhere, at least in the U.S., and I don't have to be from there. And I can get walking directions. I can get directions, uh, transportation directions to get wherever I want to go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the iPhone, you know, and phones have enabled you to do that, you know. And so for me, uh, we also have special apps, you know, dedicated to blind navigation as far as like Blind Square, uh, Soundscape. Yeah. There are different applications that are dedicated which one, to these which one things. Do you use? I use, I use me personally. I use Lazarillo. That's pretty good. I use. I just use the standard Maps um, app that comes with the with the iPhone. Sometimes I use uh, Soundscape, just depending. But yeah, some, I prefer. I prefer to just use Maps. Oh, Maps. Okay. So I like that. Sorry. Go ahead. I did hear your question. I was um, um, away, but um, we are not, Lenovo is not on the specialized part of being, Be My Eyes, but there's a whole initiative going on to review support, tech support, chat support. There's going to be a whole project. I probably end up with like 10 to 20 consultations out of this project. So that's being talked about. That's being looked at. Um, just because the accessibility is something we're really, really looking strong in support. So don't be surprised if they appear oh. on there eventually. Okay. But I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah. there are specialized companies. And grant you, it's Microsoft and Google mainly there. Um, I think a lot of that is because of the mobile technology. Right. And, and they're driving that. Lenovo has mobile technology, but they're dependent on on Google because as an Android operating system, so yeah, you yeah. Know, we have to look at that. To go back yeah. to our, our our discussion, I find Lazario pretty good for G. It, it is. It is pretty good. And there's another one that I like. Here we go. Here we go. Well, Never heard that one. Go. Well, years ago we used Navigon. Okay. So that yeah. one is absolute. Yeah, Nav- I've never used, used that one. Yeah, Navigon was really good. Navigon, N A V G U N, N A V I G O N, Navigon, Yep, and so that one had its time. But as Gary said, we use built-in maps on Apple. They fixed mm-hmm. that. Those maps are great now. They they mm-hmm. they remedied that problem. So if you have an iPhone, you definitely mm-hmm. use Maps. If you have an Android phone. Google Maps should be pretty good. Mm. But I find that I find that um, some of the GPSs in the Caribbean, when you go into the rural parts, you have difficulties. We have that here too, my friend. Yeah, you do. We not only have that; we have a signal issue. (laughs) I would think so. Yeah, we do need a signal. I would think so. Yeah, once it's rural, you think, yeah. Yeah, everybody needs a signal. But I. Lazario in Jamaica is pretty consistent. Oh, I can go almost anywhere in Jamaica using Lazario. Yeah, it's, mm. it's, it's pretty good. Pretty good. Mm. I've never actually tried any of them. I just read about them. <laughs> and um, the 
the the the thing about it is blind squares are also good I hear, but they cost that. Too expensive, man. Yeah. Oh, it's well, oh, that's the one Apple, it is expensive. I don't know about the Android. If you can if it's free on the Android, but an Apple, yes. No, it's not. What's no. that? What's that? If they're charging, they're gonna charge it that way. For what? Blind square. Blind square. Blind square. Yeah. No, yes. It's a charger, man. Yeah. Mm. They charge you. Um, anything else that anybody want to say? Because we only have about three minutes left. Um, I think we got about two minutes right now. John, well, I just want to. I just want to say thanks for inviting me. I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm glad to share, and I hope that we do get our curriculum off the ground. And Miss um, Barbados, you stay stay in touch. Uh, with Rocco and and, and 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 everybody, I enjoyed meeting you on the show, um, and and of course seeing all my old friends, of course Willie and uh, Rocco. So just thank you for having me on. If you have any questions or comments regarding this program, please address them to norwill2 at gmail dot com. That is N-O-R-W-I-L-L number two at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Have a happy and productive week. That's it for today. Join me next time when we will present another in the series Vision Scope. Music was provided by Rennie Williams, Jr.